Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. So we're going to dive right in. So this ta- this this platform created to talk about talent and you come from a very interesting background because you have that experience both working in corporate and kind of that nonprofit environment as well as looking to do, you know, independent kind of engagements. So how has this multiple experiences has, you know, shaped you into the talent professional so to say today? Well, it's it's given me a lot of um interesting insight into how similar both the corporate world and the nonprofit world is. For instance, you know, they're both outcomes focus, both work on cost effect efficiencies, recruitment and retention policies are pretty much very similar. They're both working on strategic direction that helps guide their progress. What's different is nonprofits are more service focused. And they often are tackling a lot of social issues, especially around vulnerable populations, whether that's education, whether that's poverty, whether that's public health. And they're also hyper-focused in serving what we, I guess in layman's terms, call the greater good, you know, removing barriers to access. And their accountability is more to a board of directors, a volunteer board of directors, and the people that they serve. Whereas with corporations, the accountability is really, especially with a public corporation, accountability is mostly towards stockholders. So those are the similarities and differences. But in being in both worlds, what it's given me is an appreciation of how both really work to um, fuel the economy in such very different ways and how there can be so many complementary ways that the two worlds can actually come together in terms of helping each other uh, benefit and have a mutually, um, you know, mutually rewarding partnership that that truly serves the greater good ultimately. Hmm. And that's interesting because I think a lot of people don't know the difference between the two, like, yes. right. And it's um, so, and I actually, I recently, like just in recent years, as I started mm-hmm. my own nonprofit, I was like, oh, that's how it works. So it's pretty interesting um, because there is a lot of growth within nonprofit world as well. And I think just from a pure like talent development, career development perspective, many people don't realize that everybody's mm-hmm. just going to go to that for-profit corporate side of the business. Um I'm curious, there's been a lot of talk around, you know, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, so the DNNI. Um, and I recently was listening to um, a, uh, maybe it was a podcast or, or some kind of news kind of broadcast, but they were talking about how these initiatives are not really effective. And most companies don't know how to do them well. I'm not in that world. I don't know a lot about it. So I'm curious from your perspective, because you've spent some time in that. And I'm curious to know, you know, one, two-part question, I guess. One question is, why is it so difficult for many companies to do it effectively? And the Mm -hmm. second question is, you know, what does success look like? And have you kind of seen that in organizations? Yeah, so I'll start with what, um, why it's it's so difficult. I think everything really hinges on two very important things. One is education and awareness. Um, It's so important for everyone in the organization to understand the why of DEI. You know, why is it important for an organization to really make that commitment to DEI? And the answer behind that is very simple. 
the people that make up the organization, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, or, um, it's all really uh, very, very different people. Diversity is something that we've seen, we've experienced, we continue to live in, and that's something that's really growing every day. Uh, no two people are entirely alike, even if they're coming from the same educational background, the same community, the same uh, you know, demographic, because everyone has very unique perspectives. We look at the world in a very different way. And so for a DNI strategy to be truly effective, there's got to be an awareness on the why of why are we embarking on a DNI strategy? Because really at its core, a DNI strategy values, recognizes, and celebrates how different perspectives are coming together to help build an organization, to help advance a mission, to help advance a strategic direction. And so the other part of it too is the buy-in right from the top there's got to be an understanding and also a buy-in, a commitment to saying, all right, we'll take that role in, in being that spokesperson for DNI because we understand the why. And we're going to move that forward because we know how important it's going to be for the organization. And there are so many studies, Elena, that show when an organization is committed to diversity and inclusion practices, the bottom line ultimately is impacted in a very positive way. So whether it's an internal reframing of their um, retention strategy or even their recruitment strategy around DNI to their external facing communication about, you know, here we celebrate differences, whether it's in suppliers, whether it's in external stakeholders, this is who we are. When that happens, it truly starts to take traction, but it starts at the top and it starts with education and awareness. Mm. And for it to be successful, it's really got to be eventually, and this is the ideal, become part of the culture of a company, not just you know a, a simple document that's sitting somewhere and gathering dust or a simple document that's hidden in a computer file somewhere. It's got to be a living, breathing, um, entity that's being infused into the organization, but also it's got to be revisited every now and then to make sure that it's still relevant because mm -hmm. the workforce is changing at a drastic uh, pace, you know, a very dynamic pace. And so in order for anything to be, to continue to be relevant in order to be successful, you've got to be uh, really up on the trends. You've got to make sure that you are doing everything you possibly can to understand who your workforce is, understand who your stakeholders are. And this is both internal and external. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point around just the changing demographic of the workforce. Mm -hmm. um, and this happens with every generation, right? But I right. think that there's just so many, like typically it's like, okay, we have a new generation coming in. They might like something different. They might work differently, right? And we, we you know, we've talked about it so many times as professionals, I think in general, like from baby boomers to, to kind of uh, Gen Ys, like there's so many differences, but then you throw in all the other things that are happening, yeah. right? They're just, you know, are very complex. Frankly mm -hmm. speaking, uh, as a talent development professional and somebody who does recruitment, 
I often don't even feel comfortable talking about some of these topics, like, you know, even like, or, or just, I don't know how to address them because they're so complex. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big part of it, like with the whole the 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 whole gender thing that's happening, right? All of all of those conversations. I don't know. I don't. I am at a point where I don't know what's the right thing to say, what's the wrong thing to say, because it's so sensitive, yes. um, and it's so complex. That's the key word, like right? It's complex. And as a professional in the field, like you know, when I do recruitment, I have to be so mindful, and it's it takes all my energy, frankly speaking. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder if that's part of the challenge, is because it's so complex and it's hard to wrap yeah. our minds because you're just, because everybody is also like offended by everything these days. That's how I feel, yeah. honestly. So it's like you, you have to, you're, it's like you're walking on eggshells and you still don't know if you're doing it right. So I don't know if you have right. any thoughts on that. Right. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, so the walking on eggshells part, the sensitivity, all of that has to do with awareness, right? But the more we go into being aware, the less scary that path becomes because a lot of times we're forging that path now because we've never been down it before. And just to give you an example of it, remember even 60 years ago, people didn't really speak of the word cancer. You know, it was just very, very taboo to talk about that. People Mm. didn't speak of Alzheimer's because again, that was taboo. There was so much stigma attached to it. Right. But then as we started to go through the gears and there was more um, education about it, there was more research done on it. There was more funding that was made possible for so many milestones of accomplishments that we now have in both fields. You know, suddenly it's not that scary anymore. Mm. We understand it better. And because we understand it better, we're able to have those uh, conversations with more confidence. And I believe that that's the same thing that will happen, even with all of those difficult and hypersensitive conversations that we're having now. Um, For instance, if you look at, you know, even gender, um, you know, gender differences and pay equity, right? 50 years ago, that really wasn't part of the conversation. But again, it's dynamic. It's been changing. And it's taken people stepping up and having the courage to talk about it that's truly made a difference. There's mm. a reason that all of the people that we ad- we so admire um, as pioneers, as founders, are those ones that have been brave enough to start those conversations. And I think really that's what's going to take us further into doing something about it and having it be part of the regular conversations. One day, years from now, we'll be having a conversation, you know, very similarly that we do about cancer right now and the importance of that really has to be um underpinned with education and really and seeing where people are coming from and respecting Mm. that so it, it boils down to respect it boils down to communication and the power to have that and the to know too that there is power in standing up and in speaking for what you believe in Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, uh, I'm with you on that. I think that communication is super important. Just kind of having that um, communication, just in both ways, even if it's like asking questions, right? So like getting, being curious about things that you don't know, and I think that's part of the challenge. Is that sometimes, I mean, myself included, you're even afraid to ask the the difficult question because you're afraid you're going to word it the wrong way. <laughs> you know, so it's like you have to think of, about that. 
Um, I'm, I'm curious how it's all going to kind of turn out because there's so much, at least in the Western world. So in the, you know, in, in, on, 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 in other parts of the world, it's not a topic of discussion. So right. I've spent eight years in the Middle East and, you know, the, the topic of diversity and, and, and that diversity inclusion, uh, anything to do with kind of gender, the things that we talk about today in America, for example, it's not really a topic of discussion in the Middle East, nor is it really discussion topic in East Asia, which is interesting as well, yeah. right? So it's, um, there is a cultural aspect to it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, again, complex topic, but I'm curious, what is it about the Western world? Because there's a lot of, you know, also very westernized countries, so to say, and developed countries, right, with big economies and similar to how we operate in the States. But that's not a topic of discussion for them. You know, um, I'm curious what it, if, you know, if I, I don't know what it is, but it's um, have you done any work like, on international side of things? Like, is it am I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is a topic of discussion, but I don't no, know. No. So um, one of the strategies that I built was for an organization that did have a global presence. And it was interesting to see the different nuances in how that strategy is implemented, right? So for instance, with um, in in the in Southeast Asia and East Asia, um, even the mention of um, the LGBTQ community or even being part of it is a punishable offense. Mm-hmm. You could go to jail for coming out in, in that part of the world, but you know, in, in the US, there is that openness to a certain degree, but there's a lot more, you know, a longer journey that we have to go towards tolerance and to let alone acceptance, right? Mm. So it's, it is different. It's very, very different in different parts of the world. And mm. I think it's certainly cultural, but again, it, it's got to be approached from a, um, an intention of wanting to learn, wanting to understand. And if it comes from a, an intention of respect, I think there's a very different way that we view it here. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we, we've, I guess that's one of the things that we sometimes take for granted in, in being part of the US culture is that we do have that freedom of speech. We are able to speak about things in our mind. And, you know, that's something that's very valuable. And I think that's what's taken us as far as we've gotten so far. Mm, yeah no absolutely i think it's just um it's just different but it, but it is you know it is changing i think globally in general um just at a, at a different rate than it is here but um what are you what are you excited for for the next year what are, what does your next year look like are you going to stick within this field of this area of work i would well my passion really is with nonprofits mm-hmm. um and to be able to raise funds for nonprofits so um, I really am passionate about working with vulnerable populations and giving them a voice, and especially with um, women and uh, girl uh, children, to be able to empower them to speak their truth, to step into their own power. Uh, because I think, you know, if you educate a woman, you educate a family, mm-hmm. you educate a community. And I think for so long, uh, women have not really been given that center stage. And we've always had to fight for that voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I see those trends changing. And I'd love to be able to make a meaningful contribution with an organization that helps that vulnerability in the population. But also, I'd love to be um, able to do more, more speaking um, 
with these kinds of organizations. But because again, when a woman speaks, when we're able to start and spark that conversation, I think that's where change really occurs at the mm. grassroots level in having those conversations and, and to be unapologetic in terms of you know what you have to say, but say it with respect, respecting the dignity of the individual that you're speaking to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really at the root of where all change can occur. Mm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. More, more power to those kind of topics, for sure. Um, having grown up in a very patriarchal Russian society, um and i mean it's when i tell people and they just don't believe me but i'm like you know if if you're at least when i was growing up if you're not married by the age of 25 in russia basically your whole life is wasted so you're an old maid you're exactly. done god forbid you have a career or a business that's like that is not something they're proud of in general like you know it's a uh, it's not something that's standard i mean hopefully it has changed uh, i've been away from russia for many many years but and, and, and on a larger scale, it's still very much the same. So talking about women to have a voice and to speak up and to 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 play a role in specific industries or, you know, work environments um, is very, very challenging over there. So it's, um, you know, it's uh, and it's the funny part is that when I was in the Middle East and people would ask me, you know, how was it being a woman in the Middle East? And I say, honestly, in many countries in the Middle East, not all of them, obviously, it's, it's a huge mm -hmm. region many countries in the Middle East, it's much better than Russia. And in some cases, it's even better than in America in mm -hmm. terms of the in terms of um, the inclusivity you feel, the respect that you get. Um, uh, you know, so like it's, uh, yes, it you know, it, it, certain countries don't have that, but the UAE, for example, um, mm -hmm. as a woman, you feel almost much more accepted than you do in America in certain, certain, certain aspects. Um, so, and, and I find that interesting. So it's like, uh, anyway, but, um, anyway, but yeah, we can go on that rabbit hole, that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. That is true. Yeah. Culturally it's pretty interesting, but it just goes down to that awareness education. And I think, you know, the more we can just, you know, have these conversations and, and, mm -hmm. and, and the work that you're doing. So it's, uh, that's how, that's how we grow and move forward, I guess, as a society, as a human society altogether, yeah. no matter where we are. For sure. For sure. Because even in the US, I agree with you completely. There's there's so much more that has to be done for women to get um, more, I guess, in more positions of influence. Like if you look at the Forbes 100, how many women leaders do you see there? You know, even within our regions, if we look at the large companies with each region, there's so few women who are actually leading, who are CEOs, who are on the boards. and that's a problem because, you know, as the book says, we own half the sky, right? And yet we're not equally represented in places where decisions are being made. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you completely on that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, another complex topic for sure. For sure. Um, there's so, so much that goes into that. Um, what are you most proud of um, out of your experience, whether personal and professional? Um, well, personally, I guess I'm most proud of my two children. Uh, they are, you know, just the light of my life. And it's, it gives me, I, I always tell them that they are my hope for the future, because, you know, the, I see that the people that they're going to be and 
it, it just really, really encourages me because, you know, they, they ask questions a lot more than I ever did when I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're more confident as individuals at the ages they are than I ever was. And so that's the part that gives me hope. Professionally, I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is a conference that I helped bring together. Um, This is about many, many years ago before diversity and inclusion was even a trendy topic. Mm. Uh, Working with the nonprofit world in the Philadelphia region, I helped put together uh, a conference called The Color of Money, where we had individuals coming together to teach on subjects of how different donors are going to be, are currently, and are going to be as we move forward, and how we really need to respect the differences and meet donors where they are, Mm -hmm. rather than expecting them to respond to all of the different strategies that we have in place. And the very same for marketing, right? If I see an ad and I cannot relate to it because I don't see a person there that looks like me, why am I going to buy the product? Mm. So this conference really was, I think, the start of those conversations that we started to have around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. Um, It was also a conference where we recognized that the fundraisers were also uh, coming from very, very diverse backgrounds. And how did that change the way they approach their profession? Mm. And how can a, a different fundraiser meeting with a different donor how can they make the magic work? So that way there's a synergy there and ultimately the gift that's made to the organization helps move and advance that mission. So Mm -hmm. it was something that was um, organized and planned by an excellent team of very committed and dedicated professionals who were willing to have that conversation even though it wasn't the the thing to do, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. I think uh, it was a very progressive topic for the time but we did go ahead and we put that topic, um, put that conference together. We had a great turnout and that conference uh, and the concept of it went on to win an international award. So mm. I was really pleased with that. And, you know, pleased because of the start, pleased mm-hmm. because of what it had started and, you know, excited for where it would go. Yeah, oh, that's exciting. That's nice. You know, when when these days when people talk about marketing and advertisements and these sort of things, like it's just yeah. such a mess out there right now. It I don't is. know. I'm sure you've seen it with the with the Target, Adidas, Bud Light. Like it's like everybody's trying to be diverse and inclusive, yes. but they're just they're just completely missing the the mark. And it's just it's it's I'm laughing because it's funny. It's funny to observe yeah. these huge corporations with these, you know, multi-million dollar marketing um, uh, uh, budgets with, I'm sure, brilliant people that are working. That's because it's so complex. Like, we just can't get it right, you know? And I'm just, I'm laughing because it's hilarious because they just keep, you know, and then all the all the social media jokes that come out of these things. I, I don't know if you've seen all three of the ones I'm talking about, but uh, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's just it's 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 really interesting things occurring so if you haven't seen it those that are watching just google like target ads marketing um we got bud light and then adidas as well and it's just like everybody's trying to be diverse and inclusive and i don't i don't think they're doing it right yeah it is a complex subject to start off with but the other thing that makes it even more challenging is that there's so many more channels now to communicate right Mm -hmm. um before it used to be either radio television or print And now suddenly it's just exploded 
social media has just really changed that entire paradigm. You turned it on its head. So if you want to have a true marketing strategy that works, you've got to be very intentional over all of the different social media platforms. And more importantly, to look and see how it can be, um, you know, misconstrued even. You've got to look at that, you know, the flip side of that coin and be able to head off uh, those particular misunderstandings, miscommunications as much as possible even. I think that needs to be part of the strategy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, it's very interesting to observe us. I'm really look forward to just seeing where where we go there as corporates, as nonprofits, et cetera. Um, where do you hang out at online? Where can people follow you if they want to get in touch or, you know, kind of look into some of your content or maybe talk to you about a possible opportunity to engage in a speaking uh, engagement? Sure. I think they can start with LinkedIn. Um, I've been using LinkedIn a lot more now than ever before because that's where that's where my tribe is. That's where all of the professionals um, that I want to connect with are. And um, I'm, you know, certainly that's the audience for your podcast. And mm-hmm. I think that would be a great start. And once you connect with me on LinkedIn, then we can have conversations. And depending upon what the interest is and what path they want to know more about or grow more in, whether it's DNI, whether it's nonprofit, whether it's speaking engagements. Certainly, we can branch off there, but LinkedIn really would be a good start. Great. I'll make sure to drop it in the um, show notes as well, the link. Um, last question I have for you is, what is one question you mm-hmm. wish people would ask themselves more often? I wish people would ask themselves about how they can be of service to others more. We are growing up in, I think, such a self-absorbed society anymore. It's, it's all about me, me, me. What can I do for me? What's in it for me, right? But there's so much joy, so much more um, impact to be had if we just stopped and asked ourselves, what can I do for others? How can I be of service to others? Mm. And it's... It, it just kind of really opens up your mind. It just really um, points you in the direction of where your own passion lies. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in doing that, people are just really opening themselves to meeting exquisitely intelligent, wonderful people. They're opening themselves up to having stimulating conversations. They're opening themselves up to learning and growing in the paths that their passion drives them to but mostly they're also helping other people making a difference in other lives and I think really that's where we need to be as a society to be able to see how we can not just look inward but also look outward and see how we can help other people. Um, I've often used the term of together we rise Mm -hmm. and I believe that's true. I believe it's one hand holding the other that lifts three people together. You know, it's it's the passion for coming together as a community and seeing what we can accomplish collectively because what one person cannot do or one person has an impact, but more than two people getting together, three people getting together, the impact tends to be exponential. So that's what I really wish people would ask themselves. How can I be of service to others? It's a beautiful question. How can I be more of service to others? 
Well, it's a great note to uh, end the show for today. And thank you so much for making the time. It's been a pleasure to speak with you and hopefully we'll continue the chat sometime. Absolutely, Elena. Thank you so much for having this platform. Thank you.